Well, just as uh, our families and our loved ones stand by us, this church community, we've stood together and we stand by each other. And we have a very special day to celebrate today. Not only is it Chad's 50th birthday today. But we're also celebrating that Chad has been here with us for 20 years. So that is a great celebration. I would like to uh, invite up our uh, exec board and elders Shelley Lytle, Jeff Heinbaugh, Brendan Hansford, and Keith Linder. Chad, happy birthday. Thank 50 you. 50 years, wow. I know, I don't get a day over 30, right? You don't. You don't. <laughs> and neither do lies. we. And neither do we. And happy 29th wedding anniversary to That's you right. and Beth. Beth and I got married on my birthday, so thanks to Beth, yes. And, and we're here to celebrate 20 years together, so I remember those days. I remember the day that Ann Satterfield and I we, we interviewed you at the Madeira Starbucks. Starbucks, yeah. And Chad is like sitting back, got his shades on. He looks so cool. Ann and I are like, wow, this guy's so cool. <laughs> Can't you write a song about that? <laughs> anyway, um, hey guys, do you remember this picture from 18 years ago? Mm. Don't we all look a lot thinner? No, no I don't we look identical. I, yeah, we I, changed I, it all. Yeah, I changed it all. Yeah, that was actually the moment um, I'd been on staff about two years. We'd been looking together for a senior pastor. I didn't want to divide the church because a lot of associate pastors divide the church by wanting the job. And so I'm like, hey, I want to help out. I just love what I do here. And you'd been praying. I'd been praying. We all felt like maybe God was asking me to be a senior pastor. And that was the weekend that we uh, kind of came to that conclusion together. And you guys prayed with me. And uh, uh, that was the picture we took at the beach, kind of linking arms as we we're going to continue this, this journey together as friends. It's pretty awesome. Yep. You know, what I uh, love about that picture is it's a kind of visualization of what we feel like Horizon is, and hopefully you share the same feeling. It's just a group of friends laughing, living together, just, just enjoying each other's company and just trying our best to serve God. Well, it's funny because when I, when I came on staff, I was 29, and so I grew that goatee. Uh, so I would look older because I looked 12 back then. And so I, I grew my hair out to look old. Now I lose my hair out to look old. So that's my commitment to you as a church. So, yeah. You look a lot like Javen, actually. Oh, do you? Yeah, okay. Javen looks like you. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. cool. No, you definitely look a lot older. <laughs> Thank you, Jeff. Thank you. I will say, though, Chad, on behalf of, I think I can speak for Horizon, we say just, you know, how much we appreciate you, Beth, uh, all your family, your, your folks, everybody that has been, you know, a part of, part of the Horizon family and, and obviously an important piece. Yeah. You know, if you look at it and you just think about what an amazing thing it is that uh, God has gathered together, kind of the special community, you know, all the Horizon community and how richly, just richly blessed uh, we've been and, and, and obviously with you and your family. So yeah, well, thank you. Yeah. Hey, see <laughs> yeah. the fun times. Yeah, that, you yeah. know, I've been trying to get Jeff on this stage for 20 years and he, he hardly ever comes up here. This is a special moment. It's like a unicorn moment here. Um, but Jeff's been volunteering in our children's program for like 20 years. So he has been investing in your kids and, and uh, grandkids. It's been pretty amazing. Jeff's still, but what's going on in this picture? Yeah, that, that is, uh, right after that's when we started having all the volunteers sign waivers to work in East Asian. Um, <laughs> no, I, I'm, I'm assuming, yeah, yeah, I don't know, actually, what's going on there. So. That was a fun moment. Uh, 
Well, there's some other moments we've had. Like, I remember um, one where we did a groundbreaking. So our groundbreaking was right over here. We had a church on the green. Everybody gathered together. And then about six months later, we all brainstormed on Post-it notes what we were hoping God might put in this building. And we still have that Post-it note uh, board up there that we can pull out. And it's still everything in this building comes back to the brainstorm of all our community together. And so we, we wanted one person to dig the hole for this building. So that's Shelly digging the one hole for this building. There she is. Hey, hey you notice in that picture I have heels on. <laughs> <laughs> it was slow digging. It know, was real right? slow digging. No, it was a really special moment. In fact, uh, just to kind of see, I guess it's 13, 15, 16 years ago. So there's my family. You can see I haven't changed a bit. Uh, 16 years ago. And also cool because that, that's Sierra in the middle. Sierra Strong is our children's pastor. And to see how what, what our church invested in her, she's now investing in the next generation. So really, really neat moments for us and our family. Any other famous moments? Oh, Brendan. So can you find Brendan in that picture? Because Brendan hasn't changed a bit. So Brendan's not only uh, been volunteering in multiple capacities all these years uh, as uh, operating CEO and things while we're looking for Chris, but way back in the day, he was our bass player on the left. Mm -hmm. And can you notice anything unique about Brendan as our bass player? Barefoot. In fact, Brendan wanted us to zoom out and see his big feet on stage. He said that was what he wanted most this morning. So that was Brendan, thank, our Thank barefoot. you for making my dream come true. <laughs> Bucket list check. Good pedicure. <laughs> so just some real fun moments together, though. You know, uh, it's still a secret to this day. He won't tell why he did the bare feet. Mm. So there are a lot of conspiracy theories out there of the decades, but maybe mm -hmm. you all can... One of you can pull the truth out of us. <laughs> you know, we're blessed today with this wonderful building. Uh, thank you, God, and, and thank you, the Horizon community. Uh, but back then, God turned homes into churches. And you can kind of see here, you know, the Horizon community of, of people were the walls and, and the God provided some beautiful big old oak trees as kind of the ceiling, beautiful ceiling of a chapel. And uh, to the right, before uh, this, uh, Chad was teaching under those trees, and Kenny, with his barefoot bass player, were the music team under there. And uh, it is just, it's a cool connection to now uh, this beautiful chapel. Yeah, and a lot of us got to really see God work in our lives, our families. Um, you know, Kenny got baptized in there. A lot of our, our bands got baptized there over the years. A lot of friends and family members. This is actually me, uh, back with that goatee again, uh, baptizing Sierra. And to think that I got to baptize Sierra in the water. And now she is baptizing. We have baptism service coming up in a few weeks. The next generation. My daughter's getting a chance to baptize. So it's just been awesome to see the multi-generational impact of our church. Talking of goatees. That you know, is a goatee. I didn't realize that was Keith. I'd never seen him with a beard before, because that was actually before I attended here. Wow. Miami, yeah. Miami Vice. It, uh, you know, Chad set the fashion trends back then with the red blonde <laughs> facial hair, so you would kind of follow. So that's my wife, Courtney, and I. And uh, so, Chad, way back then, we got to pray for you. Mm -hmm. So we would like to pray for you again today. Awesome. All right. Well, I love that. Father God, we praise you for sending Chad as a gift to us. God, as we lift Chad up to you, we say thank you, Chad, for giving your life to our community. Chad, may our Lord share with you how pleased he is with your life of service. And for us, the Horizon community, may we keep this celebration going 
with each of us continuing this prayer again tonight, this week, and for the rest of our earthly lives. Thanking God for Chad, for our whole Horizon team, and for such a wonderful Horizon community. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We love you, Chad. Thank you, Keith. I appreciate it. Thank you, Brandon. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Shelley. I appreciate it. Thanks for your words. So uh, if you'd like to join us uh, in celebrating Chad, there's a, a card in your program. Feel free to fill it out with some nice words or not nice words. That's right. The nice words go to me. If you don't like what's going on, send them to, to, to Brendan, actually. He'd love to read about that. <laughs> Well, thank you. It's been so much fun because it really has been like uh, trying to do meaningful work with people you care about and friends that you have. And I was just reflecting on this kind of hitting 50 and, and, and 20 years. I was talking to a friend recently. He says, well, how are you feeling about work these days? I said, I get to do the most important work in the universe in the most creative way possible with people I love and care about on our leadership team and our staff. And I'm doing some of the best intellectual work I'm doing and some of the most relational work, and I get to be with real people in the real moments of life. It just couldn't get any better than this, and that's truly how I feel. So thank you for the opportunity you gave me 20 years ago, and thank you for all of you who shared your life with me during that time. And it really has been like a family room. In fact, when we moved in here 14 years ago-ish, uh, May 13, we called the first series we did A Place to Call Home because we wanted this building to be a place to call home. So it's kind of ironic that, we, that this ended up linking up with a series called Family Room because it really is about developing flourishing environments. And we've tried to create a place where you can flourish, your friends can flourish, by comfortably connecting people to God through the Bible and a community of growing Christ followers. And in fact, Keith always says, if you're going to sum up Horizon in one word, it's just friendship. We're about friends. We're trying to build friends and share things that are important to us, like our faith. So with that, I want to talk today about our family room series. You know, we had David Nasser here two weeks ago, and I didn't realize how discerning that man was until he told me that I was one of the coolest pastors I ever met. I mean, clearly this is a discerning man, because the week before that, my friend Matt had told you how I have no fashion sense, so I appreciated uh, all the discernment here in the series. But in the series today, in family, we're talking about how do we create an environment for people in our family and those we work with that will allow people to flourish, both emotionally as well as intellectually. And I was reading a story about Jeff Itzler, and he is a CEO of a, of a giant uh, marquee jet uh, company. And he used to run marathons, and he kind of had all the right outfit, all the right training, and he really wanted to be the best he could be, not only in business, but personally and professionally. Well, he and a team of four were doing a tag team marathon. And again, they're dressed to the core, they got all the right things, they look like the right body build, all the right diets. And just as they're going to run this marathon, he describes a guy who walks up, he says, looked a little bit like a homeless man, did not have the right body type for running, did not have the right clothes for running. He walks up, and they said, hey, where's your team? This guy says, oh, I'm running the whole thing myself. <laughs> They're laughing, like, this guy's going to run a marathon, all four legs himself, and we got a whole team that's trained for this? Right. So they start running. You can guess how the story ends. First leg goes by. The homeless guy is pacing with him. They switch over to the second leg. The homeless guy beats him on the second leg. Third leg. By the time they get to the end, this guy ran that marathon faster than four people running quarter marathons. They get to the end, and, and Je Jesse comes up to him and says, you got to tell me, who are you? And the guy says, well, I'm a Navy SEAL. Ah, well, that explains quite a bit. He said, you don't have the right body type, all the things I've been learning. He goes, i got to know what you know. So he hired this Navy SEAL 
to come live with him and his family for a month. He says, I want to know what you know. And so first day workout, Jesse with this Navy SEAL, he gets him up and says, how many chin-ups can you do? And he says, well, I think I can do about 50. So he does 50 chin-ups, gets done the last one. And this Navy SEAL says, I want 50 more. He's like, there's no way. He goes, I don't care how long it takes. It might take you six hours, but you're not done until you do 50 more. And Jesse pulled our, it took him a couple hours to finish 50 more pull-ups. And this Navy SEAL told him that what you learn in Navy SEAL training is that every time your body's ready to quit, you actually have 40% more to give that we don't have access to. That's what Navy SEALs call the 40% rule. And so Jesse and his entire family, his wife, his kids, they all get trained by this Navy SEAL to bring out the best that's in all of them. Now, this was not easy work. This was tough work. This is resilient work. This is challenging work. That's what we're going to find today is that God designed family. A family room is actually a workout room. It's a place that you work out things, that you integrate things, that you, you build out things. A family room is actually a workout room. And you might start going, well, I can't lift this thing at all. But a family room is a workout room where, where the people in your family, you learn how to work out conflict. You learn your family how to work out disagreements, how to forgive one another, how to be patient with one another. You also are putting encouragement into your kids or encouragement into your spouse to let them know they're capable more than they even realize, that you're affirming them and respecting them. See, a family is not just a place to experience emotions. It's also a place that we get built up, that we get affirmed, that we grow because of the people in our life care about us. We work out certain habits in our family that we're going to need for life. Habits of persevering and climbing mountains and overcoming whatever we might face. I've been reading this book called Building Bounce. And they did some scientific study on how the brain chemistry works. And specifically they studied those who know how to bounce back either in hardship, they can continue to persevere and continue to have optimism, and continue to have that go-gettedness, even when things get really, really strong and really, really difficult. How can you have bounce, to bounce back to positivity, either from hardship or in hardship? And the science and psychology, as they boiled it all down, came down to three habits. Number one, that while you're going through difficulty, while you're working out the challenge in life, I don't want this weight on me. Oh, I don't, well, who handed me this? God handed this to me, my parents. Oh, I don't want this in my life. But when you can work out that this pain isn't meaningless pain, it can be gained from pain experience. There could be some meaning behind this. There can be some purpose to what we're going through. When you can have that gained from pain experience into your thinking, into your thoughts, you persevere. The second thing was amazing is that as you're going through challenges, if you can develop the habits in your family, in your workplace, in your marriage, that you work out your appreciation muscles. As we saw a few weeks ago with Shanti Feldhahn, the marriages that succeed are the ones that even amongst the difficulty and challenges and disagreements, they know how to be grateful for one another and articulate that gratefulness. That those who could practice appreciation in their life could bounce back in hardship and from hardship. And thirdly, those who could work out connections and emotions. Those who, when they were going through difficulty, had a friend they could call on. They had a mom or dad who was saying, hey, what's going on? It looks like it's really been a tough week. They got a friend who said, hey, I know you're worried about that thing. I just want to check on you. I was thinking of you. Those who had these three skills were able to have resilience. 
And that's what God wants for all of us. He wants us to have resilience. Life is going to try and kick you in the teeth. But God wants to give you the power and the resources to be able to overcome whatever comes your way. So I want to talk today about these three workouts. It's interesting. The Bible says something similar in Romans. It's got a little bit of religious language in it, but we'll try and kind of unpack that together. It's really fascinating. In fact, this passage, Romans 5, 3 to 5, if you were with us during our Down to a Science series about six weeks ago, my friend Chuck, who was a scientist, described how he went through the science of bioengineering and ended up becoming a, a believer in God than Jesus because of the science. But it was this passage that he said brought him to belief in Christ. Here's what it says. Therefore, having been justified by faith, what does that mean? We'll come back to that. We have peace with God. Imagine knowing, not wishing, not hoping, but knowing you have peace with your creator. Wouldn't it be sweet if you could have that? He says the Bible says you can not only wish for that, you can know you have that. And also through Jesus Christ, you can know you have access by faith into this grace, this empowering uh, process that God gives you in which we stand. And you can rejoice hopefully no matter what circumstance you're in. Because God's going to bring glory and bring weight of, of meaningfulness to your life. Then he goes on and says this, and this is shocking. But not only that, we glory or we put weight in or we see the value of tribulations, difficulty, hardship because we know something. What do you know? We know that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. Who doesn't want more hope? Isn't that a challenge when you're going through difficulty? You're thinking, this is meaningless. I don't know if there's any hope here. You can have hope because hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in your hearts. That's what he's offering. So let's walk through that together. These three workouts that create resilience whatever you face. Number one is the treadmill. A family room is a treadmill, man. And you are trying to, when your kids are discouraged, when, when your spouse is discouraged, you're trying to work out I know this feels meaningless. I know it feels like you're alone. I want you to know we're in this together. That whatever you're going through on your good days and your bad days, we all fake it for other people. But in your home, people see the real you. They see your bad moments and your scarred moments and your not-so-nice moments. But we on a treadmill. We work out. There can be purpose to this. This thing we're going through, this hardship we're challenging through, there can be purpose for that. We work out that gain from pain perspective. Now let's look at it again. It says in Romans. We'll try and dissect some of these words. What does it mean to glory in your tribulation or to see the weight or purpose that can come from your difficulty, the gain that comes from the pain? Well, you need to know a few things. You notice you get worn out when you go, there's no purpose, this isn't going anywhere. But what if, what if you knew that even if you can't see it, and even if you don't understand it, what if you knew that the difficulty you're going through had a purpose? That it was going to teach you to persevere even greater things? Well, I don't want those harder things. Yeah, but you want the perseverance. What if that formed the person you are, the character that's in you? And what if that produced hope in you? And what if you knew for sure that whatever explanation there is for what you're going through, it's not that God's abandoned you. Actually, he's poured his love into you. Wouldn't that change your perspective? Classic example of this in, in the business book, Good to Great, they talk about the Stockdale Paradox. 
If you remember Admiral Stockdale, he ran for president with Ross Perot. Say, you're talking about difference, I'm talking about deficit. Say, Ross Perot, and he had Admiral Stockdale. But Admiral Stockdale was known most for his ability to overcome, live the longest in a POW camp. And he said, how do you survive the challenges of a POW camp? He said, well, the optimists die first. Well, that doesn't sound very positive. <laughs> he said, but the reason the optimists die is because they set arbitrary deadlines. I know God will have us out by Christmas. I know God will have us out by March. And then when that arbitrary deadline comes and goes, they fall into a depression. Those who endure challenges are really resilient, are those who don't set arbitrary deadlines, but they do know and keep the mindset that I know I will win in the end and there will be purpose to this in the end. Those are the ones that persevere difficulty. I was talking to a couple a couple years ago and they're going through a marriage challenge. And they'd really work hard to rebuild their marriage and forgive each other and work on their own issues. And it was just powerful. And as they were working through it, it really got to those hard moments. Is this really going to be worth it? Is this really worth the effort? Is it really worth me working into this and trying to figure out my own part of this? Some arbitrary deadlines started coming in. And as I was encouraging them, I said, don't set arbitrary deadlines. Is there, is there progress? Are you moving in the right direction? Yes. Well, then keep, keep trusting that God will work through this in you and through them. And it's been amazing to see that Stockdale paradise, paradox. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I know I'll win at the end. Saw this marriage go from hurting to healing to flourishing. But we got to get on the treadmill. And that treadmill is reminding yourself, okay, I don't know if this is true or not, but, but I'm going to win in the end, is what Admiral Stockdale would say. What the Bible would say is, God can bring purpose out of your pain. As Beth and I will tell you, the last couple years with autism has been very, very difficult. And two back surgeries and all that stuff. It has been very difficult. And yet here at the church, it's been, it's been awesome, the support we've got. I've often told Beth, I said, the last 20 years here have been shorter than the year and a half I had at my previous church. It's been so good. But I will say in the last five years, as we've gone through personal challenges of things we couldn't control, one of the things that helped me persevere is I kept coming back and saying, this feels so meaningless and so purposeless. And I kept getting on the treadmill saying, God, you say you can work all things together for good. You are growing me. God, you get got a higher view of me than I have of myself because I'd like to grow this much. You want me to grow that much. And I'd rather have comfort and grow this much than character and grow that much. But I kept getting on that treadmill and reminding myself, God has a plan. God is with me. This isn't meaningless pain, though it feels like it. It's meaningful pain. In fact, psychologists clearly call this exposure therapy. If you struggle with fear or worry... The solution to fear and worry is not to avoid fearful and worryful situations. You actually need to expose yourself to a little dose of fear and realize, wow, that wasn't as bad as I thought. Then a little bit bigger dose of fear. Exposure therapy grows your ability to be courageous, not avoiding fearful situations. If you're worried, the thing you're worried about most, you need to expose yourself to a little dose of it and go, okay, you know what? I can be courageous. Parenting guides have shown for years that Fathers in general, although certainly not always the time, they engage in what they call risky play. The dads have a tendency to, to wrestle around with, with, with the kids. We, I'd always wrestle around with my dad. My mom would be like, somebody's going to get hurt. I'm like, no, it won't be me. Ah! Risky play. And dad's always the one that says, come up to the edge and feel that experience of the adrenaline rush. You're right up to that moment. But research shows that those who engage in risky play as kids are less anxious and less worried later because they've experienced little fearful moments and they overcame and overcame. 
And I began to realize in my life, that's what God was doing. He was telling me, Chad, I want to give you this, this gain from pain experience. And don't focus on the pain. Focus on the character and the hope I'm going to give you that I'm making you into something you couldn't even imagine for yourself. The second thing the book mentions is, a, is a, the workout of your appreciation muscles. Think of that like a training bench. Now, I am... Not really good at weights. In fact, uh, I haven't been in a weight room since I was 16 because uh, I, I actually went in a weight room when I was in uh, my trek days and I went to grab the bar and I hadn't put weights on each side and I couldn't even lift the bar. I mean, that's how weak I was. But I thought, hey, you got to start somewhere, right? So I started kind of working out and I could see both my coaches. Didn't mean anything by it. Didn't even know I could see them. They both were laughing at how incompetent I looked. And you know what? Amazingly, I have not been in a weight room since. I think I've overcome the, uh, the insecurity of that that many years later. But it's like, I don't want to go to places that I feel insecure. But a training bench is saying, I need to train myself if I want to develop bounce. What does it look like? Well, the research shows you have to develop your appreciation muscles. That's something you've got to develop. Did you know that those who appreciate and take a moment to reflect on what they have, five minutes twice a day, bounce back with resilience. Most of us are living like kings dreamed of living all through history. Whatever our problems are, whatever challenge we face, we are by any standard living like kings of most of human history. And yet if you're like me, i got a lot to complain about. Don't you? I spend far more time talking what could be, what should be, what might be, but not working out what is, what I'm thankful for, what I've been given. And if you want to be resilient, if you want to teach your family to be resilient, part of these family room moments is let's take a moment to celebrate you, our relationship. Celebrate what's going on. Celebrate what we have. Are you creating patterns and habits in your life to develop your appreciation muscles? Five minutes twice a day. Three minutes, once a day doesn't do it. Begin to work out. Start small. I want to learn how to refocus on what's good. And that's exactly what Paul's saying here in Romans. He starts off using these kind of religious words, but let's unpack them. When you realize what you have and appreciate what God's given you, everything else comes into perspective. He says, therefore, having been justified, the word here is often saying it's just as if I'd never done anything wrong. Justified, just as if I'd. The message of the Bible is that God's grace, God's forgiveness is so wide that whatever you've done in the past, whatever you've done in the present, and whatever you'll do in the future, God can fully and completely forgive you for. And that sound pretty sweet? Not I get a second chance to blow it, or I get a third chance to try and do better. That you can know that it, when God sees you through Jesus' forgiveness, it's just as if I'd done nothing wrong. Because God, through Jesus' good life, is applied to my life. I've likened it to you give God your resume, and God gives you Jesus' resume. And Jesus sees you through Jesus' resume. Now, you say, I don't know if I believe that. I'm not a Christian. I'm kind of kicking the tires in the Bible. That's fine, but do you see how if you knew for sure that you are fully forgiven of past, present, future, you think you'd have a lot to be thankful for? 
And every time you find yourself stumbling into some new dumb thing that you did, you're like, wow, God even forgave me for that. It would just develop appreciation in you. And then you have peace with God. I don't have to work hard to get God's favor. I have God's favor. You have peace with God. I mean, you talk about a commodity, an eternal priceless commodity, peace with God. Wow. You have access that the God of the universe, who's got a lot of stuff going on, spinning, spinning planets and universes and keeping atoms together, that that God wants to listen to me talk? I used to tell you, my son's nonverbal, who uh, has autism, so 40 hours of therapy per week, and he can now speak. And I got to tell you, for years, I didn't know if I'd ever hear his voice. I longed to hear his little voice. Now, this week, he's been chanting the same thing over and over for four hours. I don't know if I need to hear his voice this week, but I am ready for a pizza. I am ready for a pizza. We're hearing his voice this week. But I just think how God is just longing to hear our voice. We have access. Again, you might not be a Christian, but imagine if you had knew, knew you had access to the king of the universe to listen to you, to care for you, to comfort you. Wouldn't that be, create a lot of appreciation in you? This grace. And grace is like an empowerment. It's unmerited favor. You didn't deserve it. God gave it to you as a gift. But it's also kind of an empowerment. God says whatever size trial you go through, he gives you a size grace to, to give you the power you need to overcome it. And because you're so appreciative of all those things that God gave you you didn't earn, you can now glory in tribulation. You see, this tribulation is tough, but I'm going to give way to it. I can't imagine how God's going to use this in my life. Because, look, you know something. You know the love of God. So the main message of the Bible is that God came from heaven to earth and died on a cross. Now, if you told somebody in the first century that a cross would be a symbol of hope, you see people wearing their crosses, they would have laughed you out of the room. This is, a, this is like wearing the electric chair around your head, around your neck. It was a medieval torture device. And if you said, no, this medieval torture device will be a symbol of hope and forgiveness and peace for the world, the Romans would have laughed you out of the room. But God took an old Roman cross, a symbol, not just a symbol, an, an execution tool for tens of thousands of people that look like there's no meaning here, there's no purpose here, this is the end of the line, and God turned that cross around and made it into a source of forgiveness and hope and defeating of death. So as a Christian, you go, well, if God could do that with that, he could take whatever challenge I have and do something even greater. Does that make sense? And whatever I don't know that's going on, a lot of people didn't know why Jesus was dying on a cross, but the one thing we know is that the one thing that was happening is that God loved you when he did it. Let me give you an example. 1982, there's a plane that's taking off in the incredible snowy conditions in January. As it takes off, because a couple mistakes made by the, by the pilot, because he's about 34, he'd never flown in these conditions. It was a Florida flight, but it was up in Washington, D.C. As they take off, something's going horribly wrong in the de-icing process. As they begin to go up, up in the air, it's only about up in about 30 seconds, and all of a sudden they realize they're not getting enough lift. And they come crashing out into a bridge, and they land after smashing into the traffic on the bridge in the Potomac, Potomac River. Immediately the thing breaks in half. 75 of the passengers are going to die. Six will end up being saved. The only people that could get there in time were people in the traffic in the middle of a snowstorm. They came down and began to see people in the water. But this man, Arlen Williams, was one of the first out from the plane, from the back half. And the helicopter came by to rescue him, and they handed him the, 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 the reins of the rope. 
And instead of taking it and saving himself, he turned to the first woman and said, you need help. Almost everybody had their arms broken, legs broken. He handed the rope. She put her arm around it. Then she, he saw a guy named Joe Stiley. He said, Joe. Joe had his arms and feet broken. Joe took this ring and put it around his body because the only way he could be drugged. And look at this helicopter is dragging the two of them across the icy river of the Potomac toward the edge where, where some volunteers are going to pull them in. The rope comes back. Sure enough, let's give the rope to Arland again. Arland again passes on the opportunity. Hands it one more person. Helps her make her way in. The, the rope gets out of her hand. All of a sudden, somebody jumps in the water because she's drowning and pulls her out. And finally... Five people saved that day. The rope was taken back to the sixth time for Arlen Williams. And Arlen Williams, because the water had shifted, lost his life in the Potomac River that day. And Joe Stiley was interviewed 20 years later about the impact of Arlen Williams on his life. He said that guy could have saved himself, but he just kept rescuing others. He gave his life so that I could live. And I've gotten to see my kids grow up. I've gotten to see my grandkids. I've gotten to see and walk my daughter down the aisle. And I will never forget that my entire life is a result of a man who gave his life for me. Now, if you begin to understand the message of Jesus... You can live your life every day with that perspective. My marriage, my kids, my job, my car, my career. I have it all, not just in this life, but in the life to come. Because God sent a man that didn't save himself when he could have on the cross. But he died so that I could live. Do you see how you'd want that? Do you see how, it, like Joe Stiley, it would change your whole perspective knowing a good man died for you and your life is indebted to someone who thought your needs were more important than their needs? It's powerful. So what does it look like for all of us to, to get on the training bench and begin to lift those weights and say, I want to learn how to appreciate what God's doing, what God has, what I have in my life. And even if you're not a follower of God, the, the research shows even if you learn to appreciate Ten minutes a day, five minutes each, it will begin to build bounce in you. The third workout is a mirror, right? Every workout room has a mirror. In the mirror, you see yourself, right, in a mirror? A mirror is a chance to work out your emotional connections. When you're going through difficulty, you need other people. Family is the first example of that, where mom and dad come alongside you. When brothers and sisters, when they're not harassing you, you know, actually might say an encouraging word to you. See, a mirror is something that helps us see our blind spots, right? Because we don't want to look at our blind spots. A family often holds the mirror up and says, hey, you got to work on this. Hey, you know what? You have a tendency to do this. No, I don't. You're just too sensitive. You're just too, right? So family can be a mirror to show us our blind spots. But also a mirror that we get to see, well, my brother was having a bad day and dad encouraged him. Well, if he gets his needs met in this family, maybe if I need encouragement, I get my needs met in this family. Mom looks like she's had a tough day, and I see my dad comforting my mom. I guess our family is a place that we comfort each other, that we care for each other. In fact, the research shows that if you have emotional connections, friends and family, when you go through difficulty, you persevere, you bounce back versus feeling alone. That's why Christianity is so unique. That's why our church's vision of being a community church is so unique. 
God is with you, but also friends are with you. It's interesting how we can't see our blind spots. Later on in Romans 5, it says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when we were still without strength, we couldn't make it to God on our own, we couldn't be as good as we want to be, in due time, Christ died for not the good people, Christ died for the ungodly, the people who could not live up to their standards. But God demonstrated his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were, God knew all of our secrets, all of our blind spots, all of our bad spots. It's in the moment he knew our worst, he died for us. That's pretty amazing that God would, at our worst, not just accept us, not just tolerate us, but be willing to die for us at our worst. But then God says, because I love you at your worst, let me pull up the mirror and say, and let's work on this together. You know I love you. You know there's no shame and condemnation. But let's work on this. Because it's hard to see your blind spots. I had an example of this for Easter. At Easter, um, we had six services, you know, two on Saturday and four on Sunday. It was amazing. And, and at the end of the Saturday service, it was incredible. I was preaching so good, I was taking notes on myself. That's how good it was. I mean, it was like, hold on a second. This is so good. I'm taking notes. And I get done talking about Thomas and talking about Easter and talking about hope. And I just did the best I could do. I felt like it's the best work I could do. I'm like, man, that's awesome. And I walk down. I sit right there in that seat. And as I'm watching the team come up and do this song called Always, I sit down, I put my Bible here, and I look down, and my zipper had been open the whole time. <laughs> oh, no. And so I thought, well, maybe nobody noticed. They're kind of a tight pants. And so you know, I kind of did this, and, and I walk up to hand up my microphone when we're all done, and I see the whole team over there, the sound guy, and listen, they're all like, should we tell him? <laughs> should we tell him? <laughs> I'm like, I know, I know. They said, well, Chad, why didn't you get the message? What message? I said, we put a message on the rearview screen. I said, I never look at the rearview screen. I said, what would you put up there? They said, in giant font letters, we put X, Y, Z, P, D, Q. If you don't examine your zipper pretty darn quick. I didn't see it. We don't see it, right? And your, your spouse knows things about you that you don't know. No, it's not that you don't know. It's that you, you're, you, you just you don't want to see it, Right? You know things about your kids that they don't want to see, do you? So family becomes a place. You've got a mirror. You're trying to graciously mix grace and truth to help them see their blind spots where we love you no matter what, but you also got to work on this. You can't see your zippers down, but we can. X, Y, Z, P, D, Q. This will help you later in life. You can learn it the easy way or you can learn it the hard way. Oh, my. That's what families design, and God's family is the same way. That's why the Bible is filled with one another's. The Bible is out how we one another each other. The Bible's not just about believing stuff, it's about doing things. We see the needs of the people around us and we meet those needs and then they see their needs being met and then they meet other people's needs. Here's all the times the word one another is used in the Bible. Care for one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Build up one another. Accept one another. Serve one another. Bear one another's burdens. Is your family a place where your kids come and they share a burden and you're like, ah, get over it, come on, shake it off. You'll have plenty of girlfriends. Oh, you broke up with me. I love my life. Or are you going to bear each other's burdens? Be patient and forgive one another. Can't tell how many parents only know the verse, children obey their parents. So what about being patient with your kids? Forgiving your kids. Have you ever apologized to your kids? My kids would say, I apologize to them monthly because I also fall short. And I wanted to know, family is a place you make mistakes and you own it and you apologize. You're kind to one another. We exhort one another. We confess our faults to one another. 
How about you? I want you to have resilience that science, psychology, and the Bible speak to. I don't know what's going to face you. I hope you're on mountaintop after mountaintop after mountaintop for the next 20 years. But there might be some valleys in between. And when you go down those valleys, I want you to, to know there's such character being formed in you that you can climb back up that next mountain because you will have developed the skills, the habits. You'll have learned how to bounce up and down in that ball, learn what it's like to build that appreciation in your life, learn what it's like to say there's gain, there, there, there's, there's gain from this pain, there's gain from this pain. To look in the mirror and say there's people who care about me when I'm going through challenges and there's people I care about when they go through challenges. This week, my challenge to you is to develop three workouts. For your family, in your marriage, in your workplace. How do we make it a place that we encourage each other to see the gain in the midst of the pain? How can we appreciate one another? How can we speak words of life into one another? And how can we mirror by meeting each other's needs? See, God met our needs and we didn't deserve it. And often your spouse, your kids need you to love them when they least deserve it. Right? It's easy to love your kids or your wife when they're doing the right thing. Can you be patient and kind with your wife or your husband when they're doing the wrong thing? I can't, except that God did it for me. And since God did it for me when I didn't deserve it, I can do it with my friends, even my enemies, and my family members when I don't deserve it. The gain from pain experience. That's what I want for you. As the band comes out, they're going to do a song. And as they do this song... It's really what I hope for you, to know the hope of resilience in your life. You know, the last, uh, last couple months I've been reflecting uh, just on what God's done in this church for the last couple years. And I think what I'm most thankful for is whether it's my personal life or my professional life, I've just been so thankful for the trust you've given me. I mean, the board trusted me. I was 29 and they thought we're going to take a risk on a 29-year-old to be a senior pastor. It didn't make any sense on paper. When I saw the, the job description to come here, it was literally the opposite direction of what I wanted in the job description, but I just felt like God was calling me here, and God was nudging me to come here. And it was during that time that I have just so appreciated the trust I've been given. Just this week at my, uh, my birthday party, shared with me, that uh, several of you, that your faith grew because you came into this place, I don't believe it, I don't buy it, I don't know if I even like what you're talking about, but I'll at least give you a hearing. And man, that means so much to me. Whether you call yourself a Christian or you call yourself a truth seeker, the idea that you would entrust us as a team to use our crazy ideas and music and, and message and science experiments <laughs> and all the other crazy stuff we've done to say, how might God be real in my life? I mean, I just appreciate you. I appreciate your, your friendships. I appreciate your investment in this place. And I thank you so much for 20 years, and I'm looking forward, as Keith said, to 30 more.